0: For today's message. If you were with us last week, I started to share with you some of the, we talked a little bit about some of the hard stuff about. COVID and obviously we know one of the most difficult parts of COVID is just the grief that people have gone through and continue to go through the grief. I know a lot of people in our community have known quite a few people or at least even one or two that have died from COVID And, and that is that's very sad. That's been very trying and difficult for our country and the nations of the world. So we want to be very sensitive to that and we want to continue to pray for people that are experiencing great loss and to run down a rabbit trail a minute you might have remembered that last year we talked about doing a project called mercy of lament one of a member of our community donna kemper is an artist and she had this vision this creative idea to to do an art project that would help people process grief and what we would do is throughout the trees on the campus we would hang lines on the these 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 cables kind of like maybe it looks like a clothesline in the, in the trees, and then would hang out these different weathergrams that would have names of people that died through uh, during COVID, so it was a way for people to kind of remember a lost one by hanging their name, and then we would do that throughout the campus, and so we had an idea to do it last summer, but then something happened, and then so we're all geared up to do it in the fall, and at that time, the city came through and said, you got 30 trees that are dying, you got to cut them down, so trees were being cut down, so we couldn't do it in the fall, so hopefully sometime in this year, we'll be able to do that project, and have, um, to just kind of help be our part to help people deal with grief so pray into that if you would it's it's been a long project coming but hopefully it'll come this year and so so that has been a very difficult part of COVID but as I was saying last week probably a very difficult part of COVID for many people is the inability to plan and predict We, as a people, a people of our culture, we like to predict what's going to happen next. We like to make good plans for the future. That's prudent and wise. We all should. But sometimes I think we've learned during the last couple of years, planning and prediction is extremely difficult to do. And if you're a real planner and a predictor, you've had to admit defeat a lot over the last two years because what you thought was going to happen, what you anticipated what was going to happen during COVID, it didn't happen. And how you thought you could plan accordingly it didn't happen so a lot of us have had to learn a lot of humility in the last year when it comes to predicting and planning but you know what i think that's been okay i think that's been a good thing for us to remind to for us to remember that we weren't created to be the big planners we're created to be followers of jesus christ and I think it's taken us a couple years to kind of really help us to remember that. And I think that's, that's been a good thing for us to remember. That we've been created to follow. I like what Solomon says in Proverbs sixteen nine. He says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's such a good verse to remind us that we can have all the best plans in the world. They can be strategically laid out. They can be smart plans. They can be good plans. But if God's not involved in it, it's never going to happen. But see, there's so much comfort in that verse as well. Because it reminds us what we need is God's power more than we need our plan. It reminds us that if God has a plan for us, He can execute that even if we're not totally aware of the plan. Because God has a way by His power to move us into places and into into situations that we probably would never get to without the Holy Spirit giving us a nudge. Are giving us a push and so there's a lot of comfort we can take that we don't have to have all the best plans because i think zechariah 4 6 says it best it says you will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power but by my spirit says the all-powerful god now isn't that just comforting that's where our success comes that's from our victory comes by the power of god So as we enter into this new year with so much uncertainty, we can sit back and say, but the power of God is going to get me to wherever I need to go. There's a lot of comfort and security in that. So that's why we're starting this year off by talking about our identity. We're starting this year off by talking about who are we in Christ? I think after a couple years of COVID, a couple years of political rest, a couple years of just constant, seems like there's so much bickering in our society, in culture, that a lot of us are at a place to say, God, I need to, I need to pause a minute. Can you remind me of who I am? Can you remind me of who you are and what you're going to do for me in my life? Because I think a lot of us really need to be reminded of that. It's easy right now to kind of focus on negative things. It's easy to get distracted by negative things. It's easy to get distracted by things that just want to set you off course. I think a lot of you remember the expression, and it bears repeating, that says whatever you focus on, you're going to hit. People say that like if you're skiing through a woods, the best way to avoid a tree is not by looking at the tree, but looking at the path. I think right now a lot of us need to remember we need to be looking at the path that Jesus has for us and stop looking at all these distractions because whatever you focus on, you're going to hit eventually. And this time and this season, it's good to remember what is the path that God has for us. And I think after a couple years of COVID and a couple years of all shaking and uncertainty and a lot of unsettling, I think a lot of us had a really good place to say, God, remind me, Of my identity in you because we went through a couple years knowing that we can't trust in our plans or our predictions and we're like what can I really trust in what is stability and stability is always going to come from your relationship with God and your identity with God some of you know that for ten years Becky and I and our three kids lived in Central Florida and while we love Central Florida you had to deal with hurricanes each each summer You go through a four or five month season where you're always thinking about a hurricane. I mean, Florida, I mean, you watch the news. I mean, you live in Florida, you watch the news and you take it serious because you want to know whatever storm is in the Gulf or whatever storm is in the ocean because, you know, in a week or so, you could have a hurricane blow through your neighborhood. So in Florida, you're always very mindful about hurricanes. And the nice thing about a hurricane is you do have an advance notice. You don't, it's not just going to happen like at four o'clock today. You're going to know a week or two in advance what storms are out there. And the closer it gets to your house, the more it's like sounding off the alarms to prepare. So when they sound, they let us know and say, okay, where you're at, there's a high probability of a direct hit. You start preparing. You got about a week in advance. So you always make sure you have enough food in the house. And then comes the fun part of Boarding up the house so you got to put your hurricane shutters up to guard all the windows and you got to take all the kids toys out of the backyard you have to take the dreaded trampoline apart piece by piece and then you have the joy of trying to get every single thing into your garage now remember this is Florida you don't have basements so your storage is always limited so already you got to get your cars in the garage you got to get the trampoline in the garage all the kids toys you can take all your flower parts out of flower pots from outside everything is in the garage everything's buttoned up you got the hurricane shutters so it feels like you're living in a cage you got every food and you're starting to see this the 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 wind bands coming you're starting to get the pre-hurricane that's coming through and then there's one final thing that you have to do that's the most important part of hurricane preparation but most people forget and that's you got to put the big steel beams next to your garage door to hold your garage door in place See, the garage door is the most vulnerable part of your house during a hurricane, because if that garage door blows in, the wind's going to come in and pop the roof off your house, and you're all going to Kansas. So you have to be extremely careful with your garage door. I mean, I think our garage door in Florida probably weighed three, four hundred pounds. I mean, I don't know how much it weighed, but an obnoxious amount it weighed. I mean, you know, Michigan, you can like put your garage door up and down with your hands. Like in Florida, if our garage door opener didn't work, it take two, three people to open the garage door. It is heavy. It has to withstand 160 mile per hour winds. It has to be able to have a tree come lodging at it and withstand. But so you got the garage door, but that's not good enough. You have to put these big steel braces behind it to hold it in place. So you have these braces that go from floor to the to the, the structure over the garage door and these steel beams that you screw into the concrete floor. And then in Florida, your houses are made out of concrete, so you screw it in the foundation of concrete, and you put it on both sides, and that way your door is very protected. You have to do that, because the door is the most vulnerable part of your house during a hurricane. And I think understanding your identity in Christ, in who Christ has made you to be, is like putting up the steel beams on your garage door. You have to understand that if you're going to weather the storm. You might be able to get through a storm now and then without your steel beams up, but I'll tell you what, they're awfully nice to have because it gives you a whole lot of confidence knowing that your garage isn't going to blow away. And that's why I think God is taking us into a season to say, let's really understand your identity. Let's really understand who I created you to be and how I created you to be so you can withstand withstand any single storm that's coming your way. See, during a hurricane, that's not the time that you're going to figure out, hey, let's shut the garage door. Let's get the steel beams. No, that's almost too late. But fortunately, by the grace of God, he always carves out little windows and, and the, well, we're going through storms of life and says, I'm going to teach you something. Because I do believe that there's an extra desperation that people have right now to say, I really want to understand who God created me to be, how God created me, and what he's called me to do. That's why we're in this series that's called You Do You. And if you weren't here last week, or if you're just tuning in online this week, you're probably saying, a church can't do a series called You Do You? That doesn't sound right. Because you all know in our culture, you do you kind of means you do whatever's going to make you happy. That is part of the definition. That's why I added the tagline to our series that says, unwrapping who you really are and why God puts you on this earth. (coughs) See, I like the title, You Do You. It's edgy. Excuse me. See, <clears throat> so you do you, it's, it's edgy. Kind of gets your attention. That's what I want to do. Because the whole driving force behind that theme of you do you, which is kind of a, a rally cry from the younger generation, the emerging generation, is that you need to be true to yourself. And become the person that you are supposed to be. The whole idea behind you, do you is that the idea is you need to be the truest version of yourself. It's a reminder not to be an imitation of somebody else, and it's a goal to figure out who you are and to be that person. I think that's a great goal. I think it's a wonderful target to be really authentic. I think we would all agree you need to have some ethics and standards that are kind of built into this pursuit. But I love the goal to be authentic. Why? Because we live in a world that people like to copy and people like to imitate. We live in a world that people are not that comfortable being themselves. So they say, who would I should I aspire to be like? And my goal will become like that person. I'll pretend I'm that person and kind of shoot for that goal. We do that a lot in my industry of being a pastor. A lot of times the idea is, well, who's the famous pastor out there right now? And let's all try to be like that pastor. Let's try to read their books and try to do what that church is doing. And I'm all for reading books. I'm all for being mentored and discipled. But there's times that you can't try to be somebody else. You can only be who God has created you to be if you really want to be successful. There's often, I think, a draw in our society to say, I'm a little embarrassed about my past. I'm a little embarrassed about what things I've done. So maybe I'll try to be somebody else. A lot of times we don't know how to, we don't know how to reconcile our past. So we say, well, maybe I'll try to be somebody like else. And I, I think unintentionally we do it. We just don't know how to deal with the issues in our life or the uncomfortable things in our life. So we pretend we're somebody else. And what we do is we miss the opportunity for God to bring reconciliation to every area of our life. And that's the beautiful part of understanding your identity, is God reconciles the the parts of your life that you don't like, and he brings you into this field of integration and wholeness. And that's why the quest for authenticity is so important. So, you know, as followers of Jesus, we would say that the path to becoming the truest version of ourself is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We all agree upon that. If you are a follower of Jesus, that's how we become our authentic self. We follow Jesus. But what does that really mean? And how do you really do that? What does it mean to follow in the path, steps of, the path of Jesus? And that's such a great question to answer. And it's an important question because it's really the core of who we are see it's so important that some of you might recall that the mission statement of lake effect church is that we would become a people devoted to christ and his message for the world that's why we exist that's why we exist as a church that's why we exist as a people to understand who we are and who we are created to be that's so important for all of us so how does that happen what do you do some of you know the answer, but it's always good to remind ourselves periodically of what are we supposed to be doing to make sure we're actually doing it. Now, before I explain the answer, I think there's something that's really important to understand, that as we become like Jesus, we don't lose our distinction of who we are as individuals. We don't lose our personality. We don't lose our preferences. We just become the integrated person that we are always designed and created to be. See, some people will look at Christianity and say, well, that's not authentic. You're not being yourself. You're just being like Jesus. But the truth is, we are called and created to be like Jesus. So as we move closer to our target to be like Jesus, we are becoming more and more authentic. That's authenticity is when you become who you're supposed to be. Authenticity is not becoming somebody that you imagine would be better to be. So that's why following Jesus is the pathway to authenticity. And the good news is that God wants each of us to figure this out. And part of what Jesus does is he shows us how to go down this path. See, Jesus actually became our model on how to live the Christian life. See, so often in church we will talk about how Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We get that. But we forget the fact that Jesus says, I also want to be your model. Jesus wants to show us how to live the Christian life. But see, often people will say, well, I can't be like Jesus. That's too high of a goal. I mean, after all, Jesus is God, so I'll just try to be like somebody else. Give me, give me an obstacle that's not too big. And No, we're supposed to be like Jesus. No, it's okay to admire the apostle paul paul does say imitate me so it's good for us to do some things like paul but we're supposed to be like jesus so how do we do that see the first thing we need to do is remember that jesus became like us see if we want to understand how we become like jesus we first need to understand how jesus became like us because I believe that there are three main things that Jesus teaches us. Or I should say three main silos of information that Jesus teaches us, or three main categories of things that Jesus teaches us. I think if you take everything that Jesus teaches and wants us to learn, you could put it in one of three areas. The first thing Jesus wants us to learn is spiritual formation. Sometimes we call it discipleship. Or call it Christian learning or Christian living, but Jesus wants to teach us how do you put him first? What are the practices that you do? Include prayer or fasting or, or dealing with your past or living in community or Bible study. That's that whole spiritual formation silo that's filled with information that Jesus wants us to understand. And then we have spiritual gifts We have gifts from God's giving us grace and mercy to God's giving us gifts of prophecy or tongues or healing or miracles or helps. All these different gifts that God has for each of us, and God wants us to understand these. He wants us to unpack these together as a community to understand what gifts has God given to each of us and how are we supposed to use them. I think sometimes we're not really sure what gifts that we have, or we wonder how do we grow in these gifts, and we're going to focus on that this year as a community. And then the third area that Jesus teaches us is how do you deal with spiritual conflict? How do you live with spiritual conflict? These are three areas that I want to focus us on this year because I think when you understand spiritual formation, the spiritual gifts, and how do you deal with contact, conflict, it really helps us to understand the identity we have as a follower of Jesus. So there's two key passages that we need to read first that are going to help us understand this a little bit better. They're going to, these two passages give you great insight to how Jesus became like us. In John 5, verse 19, it says, So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Then a few chapters later in John fourteen sixteen, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father now the first verse raises a really good question if Jesus is God why does this verse even exist after all if Jesus is God why does he have to know the will of the father won't he just automatically know that why would Jesus even have to inquire what the will of God is because he is God I mean I don't have to ask myself what's your favorite color I kind of know So why is Jesus having to go to God? And this is where we come to Philippians 2, verse 6. He existed, meaning Jesus existed in the form of God. Yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God at his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself by his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and he became vulnerable. Choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. See, this is remarkable what Jesus did. He gave up his divinity. Jesus never stopped being God, but he gave up his power so he could be just like us. Jesus emptied himself completely so he could become a human being and that's how we do the same thing that Jesus did that's why the Bible tells us we're going to do the same things that Jesus did even greater things because we have the holy same Holy Spirit and we have the same gifts of the Holy Spirit but there was a limitation on what Jesus could do Jesus was limited I read it in the verse earlier that Jesus could only do what he saw the Father doing. Jesus couldn't say, hey, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's have everybody come. I'll heal every single person. He couldn't do that unless the Father had called him to do that. And that's no different from how our spiritual gifts work. I'm still subject to God, and I only can do what God has called me to do and the timing that he's called me to do. And that can sometimes be a very frustrating thing because you want to pray for every person that is sick and you want to see them healed. But we can only expect what God is already going to planning to do. That's why spiritual formation is such a key part of understanding your identity, why it's a key part that balances with our spiritual gifts. Because if we're going to understand what God is calling us to do, we have to be able to hear his voice. That's why such a theme of the Bible is that Jesus would sneak away with pray. Jesus would go out to his side and he would pray. He would spend time with God. He would spend time in silence and solitude, meditating on the word of God because he had to hear God to know what to do first and second and third. That's so important that we balance our spiritual formation with understanding our spiritual gifts. And then there's something else that happened the day Jesus was baptized that sometimes we ignore or overlook, or we forget the implication that it has on our life. See, in Mark 1 verse 12, it says it this way. It says, "Then the Spirit says, then the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days." he was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. After Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit, after the Holy God says to Jesus, you're my son, I'm well pleased, then the Spirit pushes Jesus into the wilderness. The literal, literal translation of that verse is Jesus was pushed into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit pushed Jesus into the wilderness. Now who would expect that? I mean, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. You would think probably the crowd standing around going, okay, what's going to happen now? What's he going to start doing now? What is, what's Jesus going to do? What kind of signs and wonders is Jesus going to do next? But what does Jesus do? He's pushed into the wilderness. I don't think anybody expected that to happen that day. And I don't think any of us expect that we're going to be pushed in the wilderness and have to confront the enemy either. But because Jesus is our model, we can expect that to happen in our life as well. But there's a time that we're going to have to confront the enemy that has come against us. But this is going to get really good. See, that 40 days is so significant. So remember that Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights before he received the Ten Commandments. We remember Elijah was in the wandered in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights until he's comforted by God. We remember the Israelites wandered 40 years in the wilderness until they got in the promised land. And now Jesus comes on scene and he says, I'm going to be the perfect model to show you how you deal with your 40 days or your 40 years. I'm going to show you how you get through the wilderness and you get through quickly and you get through whole. See, in the wilderness, Jesus is modeling to us how do you deal with spiritual conflict. Spiritual conflict is this major theme in the Bible. It runs from Genesis and it runs through Revelations, but sometimes I don't think it gets as much attention as that it should. It's a major theme in the Bible, the conflict between good and evil and Sometimes I think we downplay it a little bit too much. And we as a church and a community, we have to understand how you deal with conflict. But we also need to understand our spiritual gifts if you're going to deal with the conflict that's in front of us. See, so I think what happens often is we think about spiritual conflict. You'll, hear people, you'll you will hear people say stuff like, well, the devil's come after me, or the devil's attacking me, or the devil's harassing me. And that happens. The devil tries to discourage us or to get us frustrated or defeat us. That, that happens, and we could show you biblically where that happens. And Sometimes we get in a mess with the devil because we make stupid choices, and we sin, and we just walk right into his territory. But it's interesting how spiritual conflict is happening in Mark 1. See, right after Jesus is filled with the, filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. I think we all expect that. We expect any time that God's going to move with power that the enemy's going to try to counterattack. But what's interesting about Mark 1 is that Jesus is pushed into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. It's actually God is initiating the clash this time. That God is pushing Jesus in the wilderness to come face to face with his own enemy so he could be defeated. And Jesus models to us how our life is going to be. And it was very strategic, the timing, that God pushed Jesus into the wilderness because Jesus was at his biggest strength at that moment. He just had key victory. The Holy Spirit came on him. He was affirmed by God. And now it's time to deal with some of your issues in your life so, God, so Jesus goes into the wilderness. And see, sometimes God would do that in our own life. Sometimes when we are at our strongest and most confident, God will say, okay, let's go into the wilderness and let's confront an issue in your life. But nobody expected that. You all expected Jesus got filled with the Holy Spirit. You kind of expected that he was going to do signs and wonders and miracles. But yet, Jesus is pushed to go deal with the enemy. See, being pushed into the wilderness is something that happens to each and every one of us. We have to learn how to fight and resist the enemy. We have to learn how to stand our ground against the schemes of the enemy. You might remember from my message from last week, it was in the wilderness where the Israelites learned how to trust God. It was their time in the wilderness, they learned that God would fight their battles for them. It was in the wilderness that the Israelites learned that God would provide for them food and shelter, that God, that their clothes that they wore would last for 40 years. It's in that wilderness time that we learn all these things so we can trust God and rely on Him. But you remember then the Israelites they got into the promised land. Do you know what? When they got in the Promised Land, they still had battles to fight. They still had enemies. But what was different from the Israelites now that you're in the Promised Land, they're in the Promised Land because they're going in there from a position of strength and confidence, knowing that God is fighting for you, that God is going to deal with your enemies for you. That was the main difference for the Israelites going from the wilderness into the Promised Land. You still had enemies. You still had to deal with pride and arrogance. You still had to deal with those besetting sins. But now a sign of living in the promised land is when you know you don't have to fight your battles, but God's going to fight for you. And that's what Jesus is doing when he's going into the wilderness. Jesus is not going in there to fight, but Jesus is going in there with the strength and the confidence knowing God led me into this situation. He filled me with his spirit. He gave me the confidence so I can stand and resist anything that the enemy's doing against me. We've dealt with a lot of conflict in the last year, in the last two years. It's been hard and it's been difficult. But I think it's good to remind ourselves that God sometimes initiates some conflict in our life to set us free. And sometimes conflict isn't bad because there's freedom that's sometimes found in the conflict. See, the goal of Jesus is that each of us would follow him, that each of us, our lives would be surrendered completely over to Jesus. And when our lives are surrendered completely over to Jesus, anything that's trying to control us is now under the power and authority of god and that's the beautiful thing about how jesus went into the wilderness to stand against the enemy he went there with a confidence knowing god was going to fight his battles for him so in this year we are going to be pursuing understanding spiritual formation spiritual gifts and spiritual conflict because when we understand these three together, we understand the wholeness that God has for each of us, and we know how to withstand any conflict. We know how to get through any season, but what we also learn how to do is share the gospel with other people. As I said earlier last week, our goal this year is to become missionaries, that we become sharing our testimony, our story with other people so, we people, so people that don't know Jesus would come to a relationship with him. And that's our goal for this year. Not so that we just become integrated and whole and we're happy, but so we get the strength so that we can spread the gospel and share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. That's what God wants to do for us. And that's what we want to pursue this year. So I'm, so I'm excited for this year. I don't know what it's going to look like. Like we said, it's hard to predict. But we know that God says that by His strength, we will accomplish whatever He has for us. And that's our goal this year is just trust in God. Trust in His plans and His purposes and His timing to know that we just stay on the path and He's going to lead us to wherever we need to go. So why don't you join me with prayer? Let's pray and and let's see what happens next. So God, I I come before you today, Lord, and I I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, we, we don't like COVID. We don't like all the hard things that have happened the last two years, and our hearts go out and our prayers go for so many people that are dealing with loss and are grieving, and God, we do pray that you would bring a healing balm to this country and the nations of the world. But God, I also thank you that your word says that all things work together. And so, God, we're excited to see what you're going to do in this country, in this city, in the nations of the world as you teach us and pull us through COVID. God, I do pray that there would be renewal in each and every one of us in this community, that you would visit each of us with your Holy Spirit, that you'd visit each of us, Lord, with encouragement and comfort and affirmation. And God, we are again praying for revival in this country, that you would open up the hearts and the minds of people that don't know you. God, I pray that especially even for this neighborhood here. Lord, I pray for anybody in this neighborhood here that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would move in their life to draw them into a life-giving relationship with you. God, we want to see our country revived. We want to see your spirit poured out. We want to see you, Lord, minister to the lost and the broken and the marginalized. God, I pray that you would do that. And God, help each of us to understand our identity in you. Help us to understand that. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. amen.